you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn to the Gospel of Mark, uh, to Mark chapter 6. Uh, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 13 this morning of Mark chapter 6. Uh, this is found on page 841 in the Bible in your seats. Over this past month, we have been celebrating Jesus' first coming, His first advent. Uh, many, this is a, an event that many uh, look forward to with anticipation. Uh, many of us look forward to this part of the year with anticipation each year. And as we uh, looked at Luke 2 this last month, we, we saw a, a glimpse of this anticipation uh, that was uh, awaiting Christ's arrival. Uh, we saw the shepherds after the angels' uh, big announcement. They came to see Jesus. We uh, met this man, Simeon, that we didn't know much about, but we did know that he uh, had been looking for the Lord's Christ to come. And he said that he could depart in peace knowing that he had seen uh, Jesus, uh, that the Lord's Savior, the Lord's Christ, had come. And so we see as we looked back at Luke 2 over the last month that much joy and anticipation and excitement surrounded the coming uh, of Christ in his first uh, advent. And so as we turn the page today and, and turn to Mark chapter 6, uh, that initial excitement that happened uh, many years ago seems to be a distant memory. Uh, it's some 30 years later, Jesus has begun his public ministry and uh, he, is, he is facing rejection uh, in, our, in our text this morning. A rejection that the prophet Isaiah spoke about and, and John attested to that we heard uh, read earlier this morning. Uh, that Jesus would not be received uh, by his own people instead, and instead he would be rejected, that there was nothing special about about him, uh, and he would be uh, turned away by his own people. And so we get a picture of that in our text today as we, uh, as we see Jesus' encounter with uh, the people of his own hometown of Nazareth. And so we are, and we'll see how his rejection uh, connects to us as his followers and how he includes us uh, in his mission to reach others uh, with the gospel and what that means for us. And so uh, with those things said, let's turn to God's word now uh, and hear from it. Mark chapter 6, picking up at verse 1. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Hoseas, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, and among his relatives, and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. And gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts. But to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that, that the people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Let me pray for us now. Father, we ask that you would bless, bless us with your word, bless us with your presence now as we hear from your word, that you would teach us wonderful things uh, from this part of your word and what it means for our lives. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Many of you may be familiar with John Huss. John Huss was an early uh, reformer. And actually, he was a forerunner to the Reformation. Uh, he lived during the, the late 1300s and into the early 1400s. Uh, he was uh, put to death. He was tied to the stake and burned at the stake in 1415 uh, at the Council of Constance. Uh, but prior to this, prior to Huss's uh, death, uh, he was an ordained priest and preacher at Bethlehem Chapel in Prague in the area, in the Bohemian area, which is in modern-day Czechoslovakia. Uh, he was a rector at the University of Prague from 1402 to, to 1403. And sometime during this time uh, that he was in Prague, he began to speak out and preach against the abuses of the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, he believed, and some of the things that he believed was that Scripture uh, had ultimate authority over the church, that it wasn't the Pope. Uh, that had authority over the church ultimately, but it was Scripture that had ultimate authority over the church. And he also began to uh, encourage the, uh, the, the belief and the practice that Christians should have a Bible in their own language. See, at the time, uh, Latin was the language that Bibles were uh, mostly printed in, and it was kind of the language of the learned class at that time. And so as we hear about these issues today, they seem like uh, minor issues because we all have Bibles in our own languages uh, and things like that. But uh, during Huss's lifetime, this was a major, major issue. It was a major point of debate. And he spoke out uh, against the church, uh, the, the Roman Catholic Church that maintained much power and control over that part of the Christian world uh, in, in Central and Eastern Europe during this time period. Uh, Huss's teachings that Scripture was our ultimate authority and that people should have the Bible in their own languages uh, threatened uh, the, the, the power and, and control uh, of the church. And, and they didn't like that. It made them uncomfortable. It made them uncomfortable because if they were to take Huss's uh, accusations uh, seriously, uh, they'd have to deal with their own sin and abuses that were taking place in the church. And so then at the, so at the Council of Constance in 1415, uh, they brought Huss before, uh, before the council and they, they tried him and, and deemed him a, uh, a heretic and, and for his criticisms of, criticisms of the Catholic Church. And so he was tied to the stake. He was burned to death uh, in 1415 for these supposed heresies that he was uh, preaching and encouraging. He was a man rejected. He was condemned by his own people, much like Jesus was rejected and condemned by his own people in our story this morning. His own hometown of Nazareth, Jesus was rejected. He was, he was cast out. He was, he was sent away from there. And so what is it about Jesus... Uh, that makes uh, the people uncomfortable in the synagogue. And even as we uh, bring that question and focus it in on our own selves, uh, what is it about Jesus that makes us uncomfortable? I think the thing that makes uh, us uncomfortable with Jesus, but also the people in the synagogue, was uh, when they uh, deal with Jesus, uh, they have to deal with themselves. They have to, in other words, they have to deal with their sin and their wrongdoing. And people don't like to deal with that. Uh, it makes them uncomfortable. Uh, and we, we think we're perfect and that we're our own authority and, and that we don't need someone greater over us. Uh, but when you encounter Jesus, uh, we, we encounter the fact that there is someone greater than us. There is a greater authority than ourselves. And so we see the, the uncomfortableness that the people uh, feel towards Jesus uh, leads to his rejection. And that's the, 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 um, the common link between these two sections of our, our story this morning, uh, verses 1 through 6 and 7 through 13, is the rejection uh, that not only Jesus experiences, but also the, the rejection that he anticipates for us as his followers. Those who believe and trust in Christ uh, will also experience uh, rejection. And so this is the things we'll be taking a look at this morning, and we'll see uh, what, this, what Christ's rejection in the, in the gospel uh, has to do uh, with ourselves and our ministry to others. 
And so let's turn to our text this morning now. We'll pick up in verse 1, uh, looking at what, it, what is it that the, uh, got the people so um, aggravated with Jesus that they uh, turned him away. Uh, we see in verse 1 that Jesus had gone away from there. He had left Capernaum around the Sea of Galilee. Uh, in the preceding uh, chapter uh, before Mark 6, we know that Jesus has been uh, doing great uh, healings and miracles uh, in the area around the Sea of Galilee. He's calmed the storm on the sea. He's cast out the demons from the garrison demoniac. And he's also uh, uh, healed the woman, the unnamed woman, and also uh, raised Jairus' daughter uh, back to life. And so Jesus goes away from this area and he travels down south into the hill country away from the Sea of Galilee. He comes to Nazareth, which is his hometown. Uh, Mark lets us know uh, that information. And he also lets us know that his disciples are with him. His disciples have followed him. Uh, Remember, uh, Mark is reminding us that Jesus is not only uh, doing solo ministry, but he's actually calling people to faith in him. And he's also uh, incorporating them and including them in his ministry uh, to others. And so they come to Nazareth uh, together. And uh, Nazareth is a place that's never mentioned in the Old Testament. It was insignificant. Uh, It was a a little town of probably 500 people or so. Uh, The only significance that it really had attached to it was that it was the boyhood home of Jesus, who was just becoming uh, known in the areas around uh, the Sea of Galilee. Jesus had spent time there as a boy. He had worked as a carpenter. He knew the people in the synagogue uh, that he was teaching at on this day. And Mark tells us that he was, he was teaching. He was teaching in the synagogue. And just a reminder, the synagogue is, is the heart of, of the Jewish community. It's where they came to worship uh, the Lord. And so Jesus is teaching there. And we don't know the exact content of his teaching. But if we, if we look at, at um, the context of, of, of Mark this morning, we, know, we get a little idea of what Jesus was talking about. Usually when he was teaching and preaching, it had something to do with repenting and turning from sins and turning to God in faith. In fact, we see that in Mark chapter 1 that Jesus says, repent and believe uh, for the gospel is at hand. Believe in the gospel. And and then in Mark chapter 2, we see Jesus saying that I came not to call the righteous, but I came to call sinners. And so uh, this idea of repentance, turning from sin and turning to God in faith uh, was always a part of Jesus' preaching and teaching ministry. And if we look at the wider account of the Gospels, the four Gospels, anywhere you find Jesus teaching, usually his teaching has something to do uh, with uh, turning, uh, turning from sins and, and turning to God in faith. Uh, he would normally state the truth and then he would illustrate it with some story and then he would apply it to the people. It was very simple, straightforward preaching that Jesus was most likely uh, doing this day in Nazareth. And, and it included this call to turn from sins and to turn to God in faith. And so it catches the attention of many in the synagogue. In fact, Mark tells us in verse 2 that they were astonished. They were astonished at what Jesus was saying. Uh, they, they said, where is such great teaching coming from? How could it come from such an ordinary guy? They knew Jesus again. They, they, they uh, named him as, as Mary's son. They knew who he was. He had grown up around many of the people in the synagogue that he was, he was teaching to that day. And they thought they had him pegged, though. That was the thing. They thought they had Jesus pegged. They thought they knew who he was. Uh, that there was nothing special about him. There was nothing significant about him. Uh, as Isaiah said in, in uh, the scripture we heard read earlier this morning, uh, they, they questioned, where does, how could this man speak of such great things of God? And in verse 2 they say, what is the wisdom given him? Where did this man get these things? And so what's going on here is they couldn't see past Jesus' ordinariness. They couldn't see past this. They said in verse 3, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Hosea, and Judas, and Simon? 
and are not his sisters here with us? They knew Jesus is just a carpenter. He was most likely, uh, uh, growing up, he worked with uh, wood, metal, or stone most likely. Uh, and given his context, he was likely a woodworking handyman in the area uh, around Nazareth. And so he had served uh, many of the folks that he's there teaching to. Uh, he had probably made furniture for them, stools, benches, maybe even uh, built, helped build some small buildings in the area. And so this is just how they know Jesus, just an ordinary guy. How can he be up here uh, speaking these great things of God? And they also identified Jesus with his family, his family from Nazareth that they all knew. And so they mentioned the names of his brothers and sisters uh, that they all knew. And they they identify him as Mary's son. And this was probably said uh, not as a a term of endearment, but uh, as an insult. Uh, And even if Mary was a widow at this point, which some believe, some believe Joseph had passed on by this point of Jesus' public ministry, uh, even at this point, uh, it was against uh, Jewish practice for a son to be described by the name of his mother. And so uh, ascribing to Jesus that he was Mary's son uh, was meant to be insulting to Jesus, derogatory. And so the townspeople, like I said, think they have Jesus figured out that he's just an ordinary guy that used to build things around town. He's one of us. There was nothing special of him. Nothing great ever came out of the town of Nazareth. He's a regular old guy like the rest of us. There's no way he can speak with authority about the things of God uh, like this man is speaking. And so Mark tells us in verse 3 that they took offense at him. Uh, In in the Greek, the word is scandalon, meaning that it was a stumbling block uh, to the people. And this word scandalon, when it's used as a verb in Mark, always refers uh, to something obstructing people from coming to faith in Jesus. And so that's what's going on here, uh, is the people took offense at Jesus. They took offense at his ordinariness. And that's what keeps them from coming to him in faith. It's a stumbling block for him. They were offended by Jesus simply because of his ordinariness. Questioning, how can someone so ordinary perform such great miracles and healings and speak with such great wisdom? But not only are the people offended by Jesus' ordinariness, I think they also are offended by the content of his teaching. And like I said, Mark doesn't give us the content, the exact content of what Jesus was teaching. But I think from context, uh, we know that it had something to do with repentance, turning from sin and turning to God in faith. And so the people didn't like hearing this message. They didn't want to have to deal with themselves. They didn't want to have to deal uh, with the, the wrong things they had done. They didn't want to have to deal with their own sin. They'd rather not think about those things. In fact, if we are honest with ourselves, we'd rather not think about those things uh, about ourselves as well. And if the people were going to hear about repentance and turning to God, they certainly didn't want to hear it uh, from some common carpenter that they all knew growing up here in Nazareth. They weren't going to listen to one of their own. And so the people are offended by Jesus. They reject him uh, in in his teaching that he uh, brought to them. It was a stumbling block for the people. maybe, Maybe you're here this morning and Jesus in the gospel is offensive to you. You think... Why do I need forgiveness? I'm okay. I'm a good person. I'm successful. I'm smart. I'm well educated. I'm not really that bad, am I? You know, if we just be, a, if we do good things and, and if we're a good person, then, then God will love us. A lot of times we think like that. Uh, but, or maybe you can't get past Jesus' ordinariness. Then you don't believe God can work through uh, such ordinary means. If this describes you this morning, then don't let the gospel. I've become a stumbling block for, for you, like it was to the people of Nazareth when they rejected Jesus. 
And so we see that Jesus has been rejected. He's been rejected by his own people, his own hometown. So what does Jesus do next? Well, he gives a concluding word, a parting word, so to speak, to the people. And we see that uh, picking up at verse 4. He quotes a well-known proverb that was known in uh, many of the Roman and Jewish circles of that day and time period. Uh, He says, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. Basically, Jesus is saying a prophet is not welcome by his own people. And he even goes so far as to apply this to his hometown uh, and his own family. Uh, and if we, if we look at the uh, gospel accounts where Jesus' family is mentioned, uh, we come away really seeing that he was a stranger uh, to most of his family during his lifetime. Uh, back in Mark chapter 3, when Jesus is out preaching and, and performing great miracles and healing folks, uh, his, his family comes to him and they thought he was crazy. They thought he was out of his mind speaking like he was. In fact, if um, James and Judas that, that Mark mentions here, uh, did not believe in Jesus, did not believe that he was the Christ until after his resurrection. Then they came to faith. Uh, the resurrection changed them. But during uh, Jesus' lifetime and his public ministry on earth, uh, they didn't believe. They thought he was crazy and out of his mind. But Jesus is also um, identifying not only that he will not be welcomed by his family, but that he's also identifying himself uh, with the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, uh, many of them were rejected by the people they came to serve. Uh, like Isaiah that we uh, heard read from earlier this morning, Isaiah was rejected by the people that he came to serve and even put to death by them. And Jesus, too, is rejected by those he came to serve. He's rejected not only by Nazareth, but later we'll see uh, that he's uh, rejected by Israel as he uh, goes to Jerusalem. In fact, the incident here at Nazareth foreshadows what will take place uh, later on in Jerusalem uh, as Jesus is uh, handed over to the scribes and the high priest and he's put to death by them on the cross. And so this rejection that Jesus experiences uh, means that he couldn't do Uh, Great work there also. Mark tells us that. Uh, He was only able to heal a few sick folks. And it wasn't that Jesus uh, didn't have the ability to heal. Jesus could heal anybody uh, that he wanted to. But it was the people's unbelief in the town uh, that prevented them uh, from experiencing God's grace coming to them there in Nazareth. And so what Jesus does, uh, Jesus' response to the people is that he marveled. He marveled at their unbelief. Mark tells us that. He marveled uh, at the people's unbelief. And this is the only time in Mark that this, this verb, uh, marveled, is used to describe uh, Jesus' actions. It emphasizes, what it does is it emphasizes the great resistance that he was encountering there. He couldn't get over, in other words, by marveling at, at the people's um, unbelief, he just couldn't get over uh, their lack of faith. It wasn't that he... Uh, didn't understand their capacity for sin and evil. He understood that very well, but he just couldn't get over and get past uh, to to the degree that their hard heartedness uh, that, uh, that they that the hard heartedness that they possessed. He could not get over their unwillingness to believe and to trust in him. And so he marvels at the people's unbelief. And this is our problem as human be- as human beings. We can't get past the ordinariness. Of Jesus, that God would bring salvation uh, to to His world, uh, to people through some common carpenter from some backwater town called Nazareth, this out of the way place that no one had ever heard of. People expect some great work or miracle from God, but God doesn't work like that. God works differently. God works through the ordinary things of this world to bring His salvation to people. 
Our greatest obstacle to faith is the failure to believe that God condescends to us through an average common carpenter from Nazareth. This was the, this was the, the sin of the people at Nazareth, the failure to believe in Jesus. They don't believe in Him and they can't get past His ordinariness. And so Jesus marvels at the people's unbelief. And so we've seen Jesus has been rejected. Uh, he's, he's, he's offended the people. He, he cannot get over the degree uh, that they are uh, uh, to the degree of their unbelief. And so what does Jesus do at this point? Does Jesus give up? Does he throw in the towel and just quit? Well, no, Jesus doesn't quit. He does uh, what William Wilberforce did in the late 1700s. In 1789, William Wilberforce, a member of parliament in Great, Bit- Great Britain, uh, put forth his first initiative to end the slave trade. Uh, in Great Britain. And this initiative was defeated that day by Parliament when they decided to hear more evidence of the abuses that were going on in the slave trade. This was a way of them for stalling and, and delaying having to deal with this issue. But Wilberforce didn't give up. He continued year after year to put forth initiatives and bills in Parliament uh, for the abolishment of the slave trade. In 1791, he did so again, and he was defeated again uh, by a vote of 163 to 88. But Wilberforce did not give up. These setbacks did not keep him from continuing to bat the battle to end this practice. And so for some 18 years, year after year, he fought and argued for the abolishment of the slave trade in Great Britain. And he encountered many defeats, many setbacks, many rejections during these, the course of these 18 years. But he kept on lobbying for the end of this practice, the slave trade. And so in 1807, success finally came. Uh, to Wilberforce, uh, is, is Great Britain voted to end the slave trade. He wasn't going to let one defeat keep him from doing what he believed God had sent him to do, what God had called him to do. And that's the same thing applies to Jesus. Jesus wasn't going to let one setback, one defeat at Nazareth keep him from doing what his father sent him to do. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus goes out and he continues to preach. Not at Nazareth. This is probably the last time Jesus would visit Nazareth uh, in, his, in his life on earth. And so he goes out and he travels to other villages and he continued preaching the gospel, doing what God had called him to do, not letting this one setback keep him from doing what God had called him to do. He knew that preaching the gospel was part of what God had sent him to do. Uh, Mark chapter 1 tells us this when Jesus uh, mentions that he, he had to go out to the next town so he could preach there also, for that is why I came out. The thing is, Jesus understood that preaching the gospel was to be a central focus of his ministry. There were other aspects of it, but this was to be one of the main focuses of his ministry while on earth. And so he continues his mission and ministry in the villages and the towns surrounding Nazareth. But he also doesn't go alone. He doesn't go solo. He brings others and incorporates others into into his ministry. And so we see him calling the disciples together in verses uh, 7 and 12. He calls and sends the disciples uh, to preach the gospel and have authority over unclean uh, evil spirits. Jesus, again, had been preparing a group of followers to come uh, alongside him and to help him in ministry. To make, uh, back even back in Mark chapter 1, he told the disciples when he first came to them and called them that he would make them fishers of men. And so now they are about to go out and do what Jesus has been preparing them to do. In fact, he, he um, is preparing them for the mission and the ministry that they will uh, take part in once he... Uh, has been resurrected and, and gone back to heaven to be with the Father. 
And so as they go out, the message that the disciples proclaim and, and the deeds they perform is an extension of Jesus' work. In other words, the, the disciples go out and they are representatives of Jesus. They are representative in the places that they go to, just like we are representatives in the places that God has placed us. Uh, the places that God has placed us uh, throughout uh, southeastern Minnesota and the various places. God has, has put us there to be representatives of Him, uh, to point people to Christ, to talk to others about Christ. And so Jesus sends them out to be his representatives, but he doesn't send them out alone. He sends them in, in pairs of two uh, in accordance with the law of Moses, uh, going back to Deuteronomy, uh, that said the, the truthfulness of one's teaching was confirmed uh, by the mouth of two witnesses. So in other words, it was better to have uh, two witnesses to confirm to the authenticity, the truth uh, of one's word. And so Jesus sends them out two by two. And as they go out. In these pairs of two, in verse 8, he tells us they're to rely on God uh, in complete dependence uh, during their journey. They're to only take a staff and the sandals that are on their feet as they travel. They're to have no bread, no bag, no money, or even a second tunic. And you hear that, don't take a second tunic. It's kind of odd to our modern ears, you know, what is Jesus talking about there? But what, what would happen during this time period is when people would travel, uh, and, and, and it would, of course, get chilly at night, they would take two coats, so they'd have one uh, to help them uh, fend off the cold at night. And so they were to have uh, complete uh, uh, reliance on God and His provision in, in their journey. That's what these uh, instructions mean. If we were to apply that to ourselves today, uh, as we minister to others, it would be um, looking at it like this. As we come alongside people and minister to them with the gospel, we must remember that it's God is the one that provides. God is the one that works through people, uh, through His Holy Spirit to change hearts. Ultimately, it's not necessarily our words or our, our um, the great things we do or what, whatever it is, uh, but it's, it's God working through us to call people to Himself. And, and so it means us... Uh, relying uh, in complete dependence on God as we seek to minister to others with the gospel. Uh, that's what Jesus is emphasizing also to his disciples here uh, by these instructions to them. They're also ought to uh, accept the generous hospitality that's offered to them. Uh, to, if someone welcomes you to stay there, uh, stay there as long as you're welcome and minister to them. But also in verse 11, he warns uh, that there's going to be places that reject the, the disciples' ministry. And this is where... Uh, the disciples' ministry is connected with Jesus' ministry, his rejection at Nazareth. They too will encounter a similar rejection. And when they uh, face this resistance, Jesus tells them in verse 11, he says, Shake the dust off, off your feet as a testimony against them. And again, we, we hear that today and we say, you know, what is Jesus talking about? What is he getting at there? Uh, what, what, this is, um, what Jesus is talking about is during this... Um, this time period, uh, when people, when Jews were traveling uh, outside of the promised land, outside of Israel, uh, and upon returning to Israel, they would shake the dust off their clothes as a, as a, uh, from the lands outside of Israel that they had visited as a way of uh, disassociating themselves from the pollution of those lands outside the promised land. And so what this means for the disciples is when they go into villages and they preach and they teach the gospel, uh, this, this gospel of, of repenting and turning from sins and turning to God in faith, uh, when, when that message is rejected, uh, the, he's saying that the disciples should do the same thing. They should, um, as a sign, shake the dust off their feet. Uh, and in other words, as a sign saying that this village had rejected Jesus and his word, and, and they are left to answer to God and deal with God for their rejection. And so like Jesus' mission 
uh, the disciples' mission had the effect of sifting and gathering true believers in God and in His Christ. And so those were the instructions Jesus gave His disciples. And then in verses uh, 12 and 13, He gives us a, a summary picture of what they did on this, on this journey. Uh, we've already alluded to it a little bit. Uh, it was a ministry of word and deed. Uh, the word they re, uh, proclaimed was to repent and believe in the gospel, to turn to God in faith. Uh, the deeds that they did were to heal the sick and cast out uh, many demons. And what this was, what this ministry that the disciples took part in was an intrusion, an inbreaking of God's kingdom uh, into our fallen and broken world. A world full of sin and misery. This was what the disciples were coming into the midst of and ministering to. It was a foretaste of God's kingdom that will come in God's fullness when Christ returns. When there will be no more sin, no more death. And no more sickness. And those who trust in Christ will experience the wholeness of God's salvation. Body, mind, and spirit on God's renewed earth when Jesus returns. And so this is the the ministry. This is the message that Jesus sends his followers out with. Uh, It's a ministry of word, but also a ministry of deed. Of loving and serving other people well. And Jesus sends, so Jesus sends others out uh, with this message. This message of the gospel. And so we've seen that, that Jesus uh, has been rejected for preaching the gospel. He's been rejected by his own people. But he's also brought his disciples uh, into this ministry, included them, incorporated them into the ministry uh, that he is, is taking part in. And so what does this have to do with us? The so what question. Uh, I think what it has to do with us is that Jesus has called us to represent him. He has called us to represent him in the places where he has placed us. Uh, he has included us in his mission in the world, of calling people to repentance and faith in God. If you are a believer here today, then you are part of this ministry. You are part of this mission to tell others about the grace that God has for us through Jesus Christ. From the youngest to the oldest of us who trust in Jesus, we have this responsibility. So if you're here this morning you're a young person, don't think that you are insignificant or you have no role to play. If you, are, if you believe and trust in Jesus, He can use you to minister to others uh, with His gospel of grace, to reach others with the gospel in the name of Christ. And so He sends us out. He sends us out into places of influence. Sometimes we call this spheres of influence. Uh, he can use, God can use us in these places to reach others with the gospel, to serve and love others in the places where God has placed us in these places of influence. And so what are these places of influence? It's really uh, a place of influence for us as Christians is anywhere that we spend a significant amount of our time. Some of, for some of us, that might be our families. That might be the focus of our ministry. That might be where we spend a lot of, a lot of our time is with our families. But it could also be in our jobs. Uh, it could be in, in the schools that we attend, uh, the people that we go to school with. Uh, those are people that God can use us uh, to reach others with, with His gospel. They could be uh, the patients that we serve at the clinic. But it could also be if we're a patient at the clinic. It could be uh, our medical providers and health care providers that we interact with. That, those are people that God and relationships that God has placed in your, your path that you can... Um, Develop and build relationships with, and, and God can use you to reach, reach them uh, with the gospel of grace. It could be a sports team that you play on. It could be, it could be our neighborhoods. God's placed us all in neighborhoods with people around us. And, and oftentimes it's hard to get to know our neighbors. That's a challenge sometimes, especially this time of the year when it's cold and everybody stays inside. But, but God has placed us in neighborhoods, and so we should be getting to know our neighbors um, 
finding out uh, what it is they do, what they like to do, their interests and things like that. Just developing a uh, relationship with them and having conversations with them. Uh, that God, and, and God can use and work through those relationships uh, to reach others uh, with the gospel. And so God has sent us out to represent him, but he's also um, told us that we're going to face rejection. Uh, we see that uh, in, in our story this morning. We're going uh, to face resistance as we try to reach others with the gospel. And that's okay. If we do, because Jesus experienced that same rejection as well. So if Jesus did, it must be mean that we're going to also. And that's okay uh, if we experience rejection. We can persevere with others even when they don't believe. And we may, uh, like Jesus, we may marvel at them. We just can't get over why they don't believe. And, and, but we can be patient with them and walk alongside them. We don't have to shake uh, the dust off our feet. Because you see the command and the direction that Jesus gave his disciples to shake the dust off their feet when, when a place or a town uh, rejected them, uh, it, it applies differently to us today because this was given for a specific uh, time and place, day and age. Uh, Jesus' ministry on earth only uh, lasted three years, his public ministry. And so the ministry of he and his disciples had a sense of urgency about it. And so uh, if they went to one town and, and they were rejected there, they move on to the next. Uh, but in our day and, and time, things are a little bit different. We live in places uh, a bit longer. Uh, and our, our, our ministry is a little bit different. We can uh, walk alongside people then and be patient with them. We don't have to immediately uh, cast them off when they don't listen to uh, what we're trying to talk to them about. Or uh, if, if, they are, you know, if they are resistant to the gospel, we don't have to immediately uh, just cut them off and walk away from them. Uh, we can still love them well, have relationships with them, uh, friendships. Because really how we love and care for people uh, could be used uh, by God to convince uh, this person of the truth of the gospel. God can uh, use uh, the way we care for people to, to give them a real life picture uh, of the grace uh, that, that, is, uh, that we have through Jesus. And so, God, so as God sends us out uh, into these places of influence, uh, we can uh, be... Uh, he reminds us that we're going to face rejection, but that's okay. We can walk alongside people uh, and trusting in God, trusting in God uh, that he's the one that's going to work in them to call them to themselves and to himself in faith. So there's a couple of things we can take away from this. And, and now we return to that, that idea that we talked about at the beginning of, of Jesus and the gospel and that it makes people uncomfortable. Uh, a couple of questions for us to think about is, is why is the gospel worth any uncomfortableness that it might bring to us or to those that we minister to. Uh, in, in other words, why is the gospel much better than any offense or uncomfortableness that it might bring? And I, th- I think back to the story of John Huss. Uh, he was falsely accused. He was put on trial. Uh, he, was, he was burned at the stake for his faithfulness to the gospel. Uh, and I imagine as he, as he went through these trials that it wasn't fun for him. Uh, it might have been a little uncomfortable to be uh, to face resistance from those uh, that he probably most likely knew a lot of these folks. Uh, and, he was, and he was being falsely accused by them. And he was even given uh, the chance to renounce his views uh, when he was brought before the stake uh, to be killed, to be burned. And he didn't do it. He didn't renounce uh, his, his belief uh, in, in Christ and, and what the Bible teaches. And, and the reason why... He didn't uh, renounce those views is because he knew the hope of the gospel. Huss knew the hope of the gospel was much better than any uncomfortableness it might be bringing him presently. He knew that there was light 
at the end of the tunnel. Yes, it might have been bad at that moment, but he knew that there was light at the end of the tunnel because uh, we have all reason to believe that Huss is with the Lord uh, today in heaven. And uh, one, of the, one of the martyrs. And, and he's awaiting that day when God uh, will renew not only his, his body, and, and all other, but all others who believe uh, in Christ. And as he renews all things one day, Huss is, is waiting on this, this hope, this hope that we have in the gospel, that this message that Jesus brings and his disciples, his followers are to bring. Uh, this message of the gospel brings hope to our world. And it brings hope to our world because it means uh, that God is dealing uh, with what all that went wrong in the garden. And he's doing this through the person uh, and work of Jesus Christ, through his death and his resurrection. Uh, that for those who believe uh, in Christ, uh, have forgiveness in life. This is the hope that we have in the gospel. And that's why this is good news. And that's why even when uh, we are rejected by others uh, with this message, we can persevere. Because God has sent us out into his world to represent him. And we can be encouraged knowing uh, that the message we speak, while sometimes we might... Uh, be criticized for it. People may not like us for what we believe. At the end of the day, we know that it brings hope to a world suffering from the the effects of sin and death, suffering from the effects of the fall. And that the gospel promises hope to all those who believe in Christ. And that God, through Jesus, is bringing in to sin and death one day forever through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so we speak this message with all confidence and hope as God sends us out into our spheres of influence, our places of influence within his world, uh, to serve and love those around us. We can do this knowing that God uh, can use us to reach others with his gospel of grace. And it's a message that brings hope to our world. And so this encourages us as we go out, as God sends us out into his world to be his representatives uh, this day, this week, uh, and throughout our lives. Let me pray for us now. Father, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you uh, for the message and the truth that it communicates to us. Uh, Lord, we ask, Lord, that you would um, use your word uh, to, to shape us even this week uh, as we seek to serve you, to follow you. Uh, that you would open our eyes to the places where you have placed us, uh, that we might serve and love those around us, uh, that we may uh, speak with boldness uh, in our conversations, the hope that we have uh, in Christ, in the gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The rejection that Jesus experienced that we saw this morning uh, in his own hometown of Nazareth, where he was uh, rejected and turned out by people that he had grown up with, uh, people that he had maybe even worked alongside as a carpenter. Uh, he was rejected by them. They did not believe the word that he brought, uh, the message of the gospel, of this, uh, this message of repentance and turning from sin and turning to God. Uh, they turned him out and rejected him. And this uh, rejection of Jesus at Nazareth foreshadowed the rejection uh, that he would face later on in his life as he traveled that road to Jerusalem uh, where he was uh, betrayed and handed over to the scribes and the high priest and he was put to death uh, on the cross where he suffered and died uh, for the sins of the world. And so what we see in our story this morning is a picture of God uh, working through ordinary means to accomplish his purposes. That he is working that he could work through uh, a common carpenter, this man from Nazareth, uh, named Jesus, but who also happened to be the Son of God. He could work through him 
uh, to accomplish his purposes, his reconciliation uh, between himself, between God and mankind. And so as we come to the Lord's Supper this morning, that's what we come to celebrate uh, is what Christ did for us. That his rejection led to the cross and that's what we come uh, and celebrate this morning. That Christ died for us, uh, that we might have forgiveness and life before the Father for those who believe and trust in Christ. And so this meal this morning is for those who have dealt with their sin. And what I mean by have dealt with their sin, they have recognized uh, their inability to save themselves. And they know that they need someone outside of themselves uh, to, to, to rescue them, and that comes through Jesus Christ. And so if this describes you this morning, uh, then we invite you to come and take and eat of this meal. If you have not yet put your faith in Christ, uh, then we, but we do, and we also ask you, uh, if you're here this morning and have not put your faith in Christ, uh, to let the elements pass you by, and instead to, to take this time to think about uh, what it is that Jesus has done and, and how it is that his rejection led to the cross and what the cross means for, uh, for you. Uh, as, as a human being. But if you, if you have dealt with your sin and you, and you have put your faith and your trust in Christ, we invite you to come to the table this morning that your faith uh, might be strengthened, that you might be encouraged as we take uh, and eat and drink of these elements uh, here this day. Let me pray for us.